Good morning. I'm going to take a moment of personal privilege right now and uh, respond uh, to you as you have responded to the emails that uh, we sent out this week about Cindy and I. If you didn't see it, go to the webpage. It's better than I can do right now because I worked on that for a while. Um, But I will say this, that if any preacher implies that following God's call is ever easy, they are lying to you. Having heard preachers lie to people, I know that can happen. So anyhow, um, but that doesn't release us from the responsibility to follow God's call where it leads. And so Cindy and I will be heading back uh, toward the southwest and nearer to our daughters and our grandchildren uh, in the middle of the summer. So three months from now, and that's all we're going to say for a while. Uh, But I want to thank you for your notes of encouragement. Some of them I'm going to frame, uh, and I'm grateful. And we're so grateful for the time that we have been and will continue to be here uh, for a little while. Thank you. Uh, You are a beloved people. You are a loving people. And uh, you need to know that. Let's pray together. God, your presence is here in this room, and for that we are most grateful. You have been present with this body for a long, long time. And we pray you continue to work, God, especially in the few minutes to come. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together would be found acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a stream that flows down out of the mountains of southwest Arkansas. It's cool. And it's clear and it's sweet. It flows over rocks and gravel. It flows beside grass and under tree limbs. It flows fast through its rapids and it lingers in long pools as smooth as glass. It sustains deer and bears, fish and birds, and a few small towns. Back in the 19th century, it sustained small family farms up and down its banks. I know because four generations of Fullers lived on that river from 1878 until 1980. It's not famous like the Nile or the Hudson. It doesn't carry freight like the Mississippi or the Ohio. It didn't carve out a Grand Canyon like the Colorado but it's one of the most beautiful rivers you'll ever see. It flows cool, clear, and sweet through the beautiful tree-covered mountains of southwest Arkansas. It's called the Caddo. The Caddo Indians were drawn there for the water and the plentiful game. It has lots of nearby springs to supply even cooler, clearer, and sweeter water. My dad grew up on that river. So did my grandfather. My great-grandfather became a man there, and my great-great-grandfather brought his young family there from Georgia to start a farm in 1878. The cattle runs through a little town called Glenwood. To be honest, the mountains and the river are much more beautiful than the town. When I was a boy, I visited there often. It may be one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's certainly one of the most beautiful, undiscovered places in the world. 
I loved visiting there back in the 60s when I was a boy. I loved being with my grandparents. And many summers, I would spend a week with them. My favorite question for my granddad, especially in summer, was, can you take me down to the swimming hole? Beneath the railroad bridge was a deep, flowing pool. The bank was covered with smooth stones that made it easy to get to the water. I spent many a hot summer day swimming in the caddo underneath the shade of that bridge. My dad could regale you with stories of growing up on that river. I don't mean they lived in a house on the river. I mean he grew up on the river, playing in the cool, fresh water, riding downstream in a canoe, catching fish they would eat that night for dinner. There was story after story after story. And they all revolved around the river, around water. Water, we can't live without it. None of us, not a single living organism can be sustained without water. In some organisms, up to 90% of their body weight comes from water. Up to 60% of the human adult body is water. The brain and heart are composed of 73% water, and the lungs are 83% water. Our skin contains 64% water, muscles and kidneys are 79%, and even our bones are watery at 31%. Researchers say that human beings can go up to three weeks without food, but we can only go about three days without water. Look at a map and you'll notice a pattern. Every major city sits on or near some body of water, almost always a river, a river with flowing, drinkable water. Near those water supplies, people gathered and they put down roots. There's a Jewish fortress called Masada, deep in the Judean desert. As the Romans were putting down a Jewish rebellion in the year 73, a group of Jewish zealots holed up at Masada. It's a place whose ruins exist to this very day. The Romans, being Romans, weren't content to just leave them there. Thousands of Roman soldiers and slaves headed to the Judean desert to lay siege to Masada. If you go there, you'll see something very, very interesting Up on the top of those impregnable cliffs was a small city. And they had a secret beyond the high walls of their desert fortress. They had a water collection system that channeled water into massive cisterns dug down into the rock. Here they stored literally thousands of gallons of water. It didn't rain often, but when it did, they saved every drop possible. It was that water supply that sustained them. I got to go there once and our Jewish guide said that during the two-year Roman siege, the Jews would taunt the Romans down below by taking cups of water and just pouring it down on them, hundreds of feet below. The Romans had to bring water in from miles and miles away for their people. Water created a military advantage, albeit a temporary one, 
for those rebellious Jews in the desert. Water matters. It still does. Yet today, we seldom talk about water or even really think about it much. We long ago ceased to be amazed that we could simply walk into our kitchens, turn on a faucet, and have access to all the fresh water we could ever want or need. We take water for granted. We just turn a faucet or we go to the store and buy it in bottles. Did you realize that when you buy a bottle of water, you're paying more per ounce than you do for the gasoline that goes in your car? Think about that for a minute. I'd love to have a conversation with my grandfather about that. He would think that was way crazy. Think of the power of water. It would be easy if you had lived in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina or in Houston during Harvey. How about Indonesia during the 2004 tsunami? The same water that sustains our lives can also bring death and destruction. Our theology has a lot of water in it, too. We enter the waters of baptism as we, we declare the lordship of Christ in our lives. Our baptism is based on a ritual as ancient as the Hebrew people. They call it a mikvah, an ancient ritual of cleansing, a ritual that Jesus himself went through with his cousin John in the Jordan River. If you think about the lives of ancient people, it's pretty easy to see how water and God go together. When you live in a desert land, every drop of water matters. Plants don't grow without water. Livestock can't survive without water. Human beings don't live long without water. For people in ancient Palestine, water was a matter of life and death. And it was for them literally the source of life and they seldom took it for granted. When you think of ancient people and how their lives actually worked, it's easy to see how they would see a direct connection between God and water. If God was their source of life, then God must be the one who sends the water. It's no mistake that we talk about God above us in heaven, and we look up to show our faces to God. That's where water comes from, right? If you believe that God was a source of life and that rain fell from above, it simply makes sense that we would look to God in the heavens, even if you live in the 21st century. Ultimately, water is a symbol for all of that which sustains life, spiritual life as well as physical life. When God formed the world, God separated the waters below from the waters above, it says in Genesis. God created a river to flow out of Eden to water the garden. God used water to cleanse the earth from man's iniquity during the days of Noah. God parted the waters of the Red Sea to release the people of Israel from Egypt. And then God stopped the waters of the River Jordan to make way for God's people to enter the promised land. In the Levitical codes, we see the use of water for purification of the spirit. When the Israelites were in captivity, they mourned by the rivers of Babylon. Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine. Jesus met a woman at a well as she was getting water. 
Jesus walked on water. Jesus calmed a rainstorm. And we have this water waiting for us in the world to come. Hear these words from Revelation near the very end of all of Scripture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. God's river of water of life. God's cool, clear, sweet water will bring the healing of the nations. I wonder what Jesus was thinking as he said, I thirst. Was he remembering his boyhood and going to fetch water from the nearest spring for his family? Was he remembering being baptized in the Jordan? Was he remembering walking on water? I wonder what those who were nearby were thinking when Jesus said those words. And I also wonder, what was the response of the very first reader of readers of John's gospel when they heard those words, I thirst. Okay. Have you heard the one about? Everybody knows what that means, right? Have you heard the one about the guy who was invited to go to the comedian's banquet? The hosts and the visitors sit down at their table and the program started. One by one, the different comics go to the microphone. The first one goes up to the mic and says, 87. The place goes wild with laughter. The second one goes up to the mic and he says, 54. And the place just roars again. Another guy goes up and says, 95, with the same result. The visitor asks his hosts, what's going on? They explain that everyone there already knows all the jokes. And so to save time, they just call out the numbers. This goes on for a little while longer, and the visitor says, hey, I can do this. So he goes to the mic, and he says, 66, and the place is silent, deadly silent, awkwardly silent. You can hear a pin drop, and one comic leans over to the other one and says, some people just don't know how to tell a joke. Believe it or not, There's a connection here. There's a parallel with first century Jewish community. The ancient Jewish community was by and large illiterate. But they learned the Psalms, their prayer book, from childhood. They learned them orally. They knew the Psalms cover to cover. And the Psalms cover the entire gamut of human and spiritual emotion, from praise to laments. The Psalms were the spiritual engine of the Jewish people. So, of course, they knew the Psalms. They sang them and they memorized them so thoroughly that they became a form of communal heart language. They were a part of what bound the Jews together as a people and as a society. Now, they didn't learn them with numbers, 
but you could say one line from a psalm and anyone would know which one you were quoting. This was especially true of the first line. You could say one line and most anyone could finish it out. When the gospel writer wrote about wine vinegar and reported Jesus' words, I thirst, the listener would know that it referred to Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Those who were at the cross that awful day and those who would first hear this gospel would make connections that we miss 2,000 years later. I think that the crucifixion's earliest witnesses would also make connections to other psalms because it was so much a part of their heart language. Maybe Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Another part of the context for these words can be found earlier in John's gospel. Here's what Jesus said to an outcast woman who came to collect water from her community's well. From earlier in John's gospel, we hear these words. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty the water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. For what do you thirst this morning? Security? Power? Prestige? Prosperity, pleasure. Is it time to thirst for water that transcends all our other different thirsts? Just between you and God this morning, answer this question. For what do you really thirst when you're completely honest with yourself down in the depths of your soul? Are you spiritually dehydrated this morning? Dried up? Needing that water that quenches your eternal thirst? 
Jesus offers us all water that will quench the thirst in the depths of our souls. It's the coolest, clearest, sweetest water you'll ever find. And you don't have to go to the hills of southwest Arkansas to find it. It's here this morning for you. For what do you thirst? Let's pray. God, we gather this morning circled around your well. A well of living water. A well that will sustain our souls that is just as important as the water that sustains our bodies. Speak to us in these next few moments of silence as we seek to listen to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.